How's it going, everyone? My name is Chris Hagen, and this is Above the Standard, the podcast brought to you by Barbell Battalion. Today, we have a phenomenal show. Absolutely great. Today, we talk with Captain Todd Edwards. Captain Edwards served for the City of Atlanta Fire Department for north of 30 years. And today, we talk about leadership. We talk about membership engagement. We talk about training, setting, and maintaining standards, and making sure we can build a better fire department around us. And it doesn't take a giant fire department to do so. Please give it up for the great, the powerful Captain Todd Edwards. Hey, what's going on, brother? Todd, what's going on? How's it going? Uh, just uh, <laughs> just trying to get some uh, stuff done. I got a bunch bunch of classes coming up, so I'm kind of playing playing a little catch up right now. Are they uh, are they, are, they, are they still on with uh, everything going on? Yeah, well, some are uh, uh, just rebookings um, that you know had to be canceled during the pandemic outbreaks and all that. So, uh, and then some are new bookings where you know departments are finally opening up again to doing you know larger base training sessions and things like that. So, yeah, awesome. Well, I'm hoping that uh, everything works out the, the the way it's intended and you guys can get those uh those trainings in uh todd i really do appreciate you coming on um i kind of had a weird kind of path on on how kind of i found you i was kind of just looking at conferences and um other uh, avenues that i really respected and and one that popped up pretty much the first search was firemanship and you had a, a really interesting topic that i don't think is I think widely um, used enough in the American Fire Service uh, with training and more of a direct um, discussion and lecture in terms of training and development of maybe not solely limited to a chief level officer or a line officer, probably even a senior, a senior man, a senior fireman. Um, you talk about this thing with no fear leadership and before we jump into that um what is you you spent a long time on a uh, on a big city fire department so if you could just give us a recap just real quick on, on you know where you came from in your career um where you started and kind of how you got to where you are now yeah it's uh i <laughs> uh, started very young i'd say probably more in the uh <laughs> As a as a kid, kid, my dad was both a full I call him a full time volunteer as well as a full time uh, captain with the police and fire. He was a public safety captain for you know thirty years and started one of the first rescue squads in the Ohio Valley area. Um, you know at that time that's not when everybody owned a hearse tool, so that squad would respond all over the uh, Miami Valley area of Ohio on auto extrications, body recoveries, river rescue. So I've been around it uh, as, as long as, I mean, you know, since I was born, I guess. And then at um, 16, I was able to get on the, the, uh, the fire department where my dad was the fire chief at. It was a combination department and started as a, uh, you know, not supposed to go in, but, you know, we were still going in. You got 16 on the lines and, 
got all that experience, but always wanted to work for, you know, a big city. And I, I didn't even have a preference, to be honest. I didn't care if it was Chicago, Boston, whoever I could get on with. I just wanted to work for and have that experience of being with a uh, large metropolitan apartment and um, start putting applications in at uh, 20 years old and uh, just happened to land in Atlanta, Georgia and did uh, 30 years on the line here in the Atlanta area and um, um, worked through a variety of ranks, uh, nothing but busy companies my entire career. I was very blessed in that area. I never, never worked at one of the slow houses. It was always, a, you know, some of the most active uh, companies in the city. And um, just, just those kind of things. And it really during that whole time, to be honest, I think what was developing and I was very fortunate to have officers who were firm believers in training. And even though we were extremely active and, and fighting a lot of fire, um, we still drilled every day. It was one of my first impressions, one of the greatest captains I ever had the honor to work with in Mike Hoat's claw. No matter what, we always got a drill in. Uh, even if it was at the fire, after the fire, we would review and we would discuss what we can do better. And I've just kept carrying that and um, wanted to pass that on. Every experience and things I was shown, I always felt that that's one of the biggest areas in the fire service that we've got to that we really need to improve on is to pass on those knowledges and experience to our younger firefighters as they're coming up through the ranks. So then, you know, that tradition carries. And that's kind of how things really, you know, <laughs> kind of developed over the course of a lot of experiences, a lot of years, a lot of classes and um, continue to do that today. That's one thing I wanted to cross into is the importance of setting a standard and, and maintaining those standards um, with with your crew, your battalion, your shift. Um as a line officer yourself, as a, a re retired captain, even serving uh, as the rank of assistant chief uh, for some time, in in your opinion, why why is it important for the leadership and the officers to maintain a standard with their their guys and girls? Why why do we give a damn that we want to make sure they can mask up in under a certain amount of time? Why should they know their pump? Why why do we hold them to this accountability? As opposed to just saying, well, I mean, you were taught it. So if you're taught it, you should know it. And when the time comes, you should be able to perform. Why is there this emphasis to hold them to that standard? Well, uh, you know, again, personal beliefs here, uh, being around so many like-minded people in this arena. One, you know, I'm a firm believer that minimum standards do not get the job done. They're total BS. Um, and when we hold our folks to a minimum standard, uh, you know, in firefighter one, you have two minutes to get rapid dress. Well, in two minutes, the three-year-old trapped on division two is dead. So we've got to be better than the minimum standards. And I, and I preach that every chance I get. I can't stand um, to hear guys talk about, well, he made the minimum standards. He's good. He's not good. He's minimal. And I don't think there's a firefighter or a person out there that wants just the minimal standard guy showing up at their house at 3 a.m. with their wife or their kids in trouble or their property endangered. So 
as far as holding guys to a standard, I think to me it was always very simple, and it was ingrained in me from a, from a early on as a child uh, and all through my career that when when people call us, they don't call us to, um, because they're having a great morning or a great night or a great day. They call us at their worst possible moments. And what could seem like a minor emergency to us because we deal with so many things is the worst day in their life. This is the American Fire Service is solely based on service. It's based on helping those in need. My the way I pressed on my guys, the way I press on our standard, you know, having a higher standard. And every time we reached, you know, the one minute mark, we said, man, we can do this in 40 seconds. And we would try and we would try and we would get better and we would get stronger and we work together as a team. It was nothing to do about us. It was all about doing our job to help the person in need. And I always try to remind guys all the time, when you're in doubt or when you're thinking about, um, you know, well, this is just a job or this is, then you're in the wrong job. You're not in the right line of work. People depend on us for their lives, for their livelihood. I used to, um, I, I'd hear guys say, well, it's just a, it's just a house or it's, uh, you know, it's just a, a house in a, in a crappy section of the city. And when I hear guys in that mindset, they don't, they don't care about the job. They don't care about what we're really here for. Um, if I've got three rooms going in a one story wood frame and we can save the living room, the kitchen, we may have saved that family a lot of grief, pain and heartache. And we may be able to help keep that family together under stress times. People that don't have much need us just as much as everybody else. You know, I don't, I don't get that concept of, uh, uh, it's not my emergency. When you dial 911, your emergency is now my emergency. And that's a mindset. But holding that standard, uh, what I found to be real easy from a training standpoint for company officers that may be listening, if you are raising the bar on a consistent basis and you're sending that message that it's about the people we serve, it's about doing better for these people, it's also about doing better for our brothers and sisters. If I get the line stretched and I'm protecting the search as I'm making a push down the hallway and that truck company or other engine crew come in behind me and search out those bedrooms, not only am I doing great for the civilians that may be trapped, I'm also protecting my brothers and sisters at the same time. This is a teamwork uh, job. This isn't an individual job. So there's a lot of ways to send that message. The problem that I see is that we don't send the message consistently. You know, we go to a class or we read an article or we see some little catchy phrase or whatever, but it's a, it's more about, you know, a consistent everyday mental thought process. I'm not talking about living the American Fire Service 24-7, seven days a week. You've got to have that balance in there, too. But good God, for that 24-hour shift or that eight-hour tour, whatever guys are doing, uh, it should be about the job, 100% about the job. I, I couldn't agree more. And when you you started in this job, where where was the mindset when you came on versus where where we are today? Because I think anyone that's connected to I think your your network of of instructors, whether it's uh, Chief Isaacson or, or anyone else, there is this push pull dichotomy in in our American fire service. It's the culture of Make sure the fireman's safety is number one. Make sure that when they go, when we show up on scene, that we have to make sure that we are protected, that we are safe. 
Uh, despite the fact that we have $3,000, $5,000 worth of equipment protecting us, going into an environment where someone else doesn't have anything. But on the other hand, that's almost refreshing, and it's great to hear we have this other side of it, which is we show up to an inherently dangerous job. And really, sometimes we just have to get called to do some dangerous shit. And how have you how have you seen that mindset either change or or morph in the time when when you got on to to where it is now and is there i guess it was there ever a change and h- how can we get our our members to buy in and believe that exactly what you said their emergency like i'm treating this as if my house is on fire i'm trying to make a stop as if my house is on fire and and how do we get to that point? Well, I, I think, uh, and, and you'll hear a lot of guys, I think a lot of guys believe this or say this at the same time is when I hired on, it was, you know, I hired on to fight fire. I hired on to serve of, you know, serve my community or serve the people that I work for. And, you know, I firmly still believe that I work for those you know, moms, dads, kids, aunts, uncles, grandparents. And that's, you know, again, a, a mentality, but somewhere, um, over the course of time. And again, I do, some guys take it as, you know, as I'm knocking this, I believe in education. Um, formal education is great, but at the end of the day, no fancy certificate, no fancy degree has shown up at a fire and, beat it out because you have a degree in, you know, basket weaving for emergency management 101. It still requires strong, solid ground knowledge, strong understanding of building construction, understanding the fire behavior, understanding of reading smoke, understanding how to pull hose lines, vent buildings, all those things. The tactics of what puts out fire. I guarantee if I busted out a fire right now and no chief showed up, guess what would happen? The damn fire would still go out. Somewhere along the way in the American Fire Service, I think we kind of lost our path uh, where we got so focused on uh, safety. And, you know, you can hear it in uh, uh, Ray McCormack's speech at FDIC where we need a culture of extinguishment, not a culture of safety. Again, we're not telling guys to be stupid. If the house is 99 percent involved in collapsing, that's out of my hands. But if I show up and I got two rooms ripping on the first floor with bedrooms above it. We need to get in there. We need to get back to aggressive, solid fire ground tactics. That starts with good, solid ground, solid fire ground training. Somewhere we 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 lost our way where we start promoting based on the number of degrees you have versus the number of years of experience. You can give me a guy with a GED with 30 years in on the job, and I guarantee that guy can manage a fire scene. The guy with the bachelor's degree in science and a doctorate, I'm all for that guy, too. I want him managing the budgets, buying my fire trucks, um, making sure we have everything we need. But somewhere in there, we we really kind of got so focused um, on the safety aspect that we've lost that this is a blue-collar, dangerous job. Shit, if you read the inside of the code, it tells you it's dangerous. It even says, firefighting is dangerous. Don't do that shit. It's amazing. It's amazing that we have to have these conversations about this. Um, you know, obviously, I, I'm me and a buddy of mine. 
uh, Danny Dwyer, who was suspended for pulling a woman out of the house. Uh, another buddy of mine's under investigation right now um, for, you know, doing, you know, saying the right things about the American Fire Service, but it didn't fit that department's agenda. Uh, another buddy of mine just made a BES and is being reprimanded for going inside because of the volume of fire. You know, this is where people lose touch. I think fire chiefs at times, I'm not saying all fire chiefs, so any fire chiefs that, you know, are listening, uh, don't freak out and start, you know, bashing me about this. But so many of our chiefs out there have lost touch with what the job's really about. But then I look at guys like the Kurt Isaacsons, uh, Chief Chris Coons here in the metro Atlanta area is one of those guys that's into the job, knows the job, knows what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, Scott Thomas, he's another one. Uh, Howard Reinwald. There, there is a huge number of incredible chiefs out there as well so that know what we do. And we've got to re- kind of reverse that mission again. Um one of the messages that we're starting to uh, me and my partner are pushing out now is uh, mission resurrection. And it's about reviving and building on the true mission of the American fire service again. And that's to serve people and save lives. And it's really that simple. So you served um, in, in that chief level, that level position and, when, when you look at the, the the grab that Danny made, do you think there was or is nationwide or what have you more of a fear that if we don't reprimand, then we might lose some sense of control over our policies and procedures that we have put in place to do our best to keep to keep firemen safe because. I think everyone will agree he made the right move. If you were to put yourself in the leadership position that had to enforce that reprimand on Danny, in your and and this is strictly your opinion, where do you think the mindset was? Was I don't think you could have gotten away with that in terms of a reprimand and not made National Fire Department spotlight. That's just crazy to me. Where where do you think their mindset was? Being that you came. Um, from that area, that region, that department? It, it, 100% what you said early on, it, it's about control. It wasn't to do anything about safety or freelancing or some of the some of the horseshit that was being said. It was totally about showing power, authority, and control over others. How, do you, how can you reprimand somebody? You know, and my first question always when, I, when I've been asked about this, would you want me to go in if that was your mother? Oh, absolutely. And if, and if you can't, if you can honestly say, oh, no, don't get, but don't, you know, I don't want you to get a boo boo to save my mom. Well, then you're a heartless bastard anyway. But how <laughs> right. how did not that question be the first thing you ask yourself uh, before you decide to suspend a, a firefighter or, or in some of the other cases I reckon, you know, that I referenced without names? How am I going to reprimand a guy for doing his job, especially when the end result, you know, with uh, with my brother, Danny, was exactly the result that we've trained for and practiced for and supposed to be doing. We, I don't understand how we have lost that um, that ability, but I, it does come down to control 
and we're in charge and you're just going to do what you're told and you didn't follow this policy or procedure. Well, again, I've been to a lot of fires. I'm sure like yourself and most people listening uh, that policies and procedures really go out the window quick when you have confirmed elderly person inside that home or you have a child trapped on the second floor. And it doesn't matter to me if that woman was 17 or 98. She deserved our best efforts, and that's exactly what she got. The result was not what you know Danny wanted, wasn't what anybody wanted of her passing away. But it's exactly what she would have expected, and it's exactly what her family expected us to do. And Danny did that, and he suffered a consequence for doing nothing more than a job he has trained for for 20 plus years. And there's no excuse. There is no excuse to reprimand a firefighter for doing his best effort or doing his best job he could for, for our citizens. And then again, it, you know, that's one of those, uh, myself and Danny, we're, we're going to be presenting a program, um, coming up in a few weeks and we'll be making that known to everybody. And it's solely based about decision-making because at the end of the day, it's real easy to sit in an office and bash what the reprimand was, but that's not what we want our program to be. Our program is going to be, how do you make decisions in, in, in light of all these things? And, you know, at the end of the day, what really occurred is I mean, we've got guys now pulling up the fire, second guessing their own decision because they're worried about getting in trouble. That I think that that comes really to, and I think what I've learned to, and I, and I haven't been nearly in the fire service as long, uh, thirteen years. But what I have found that if 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 I'm having a problem at my fire department, not only is there probably two hundred other fire departments having that same damn problem, but there there are probably other agencies having it a lot worse than I am. So to identify a problem, I think is not. Um, solely specific to one is that we are all having some degree of uh, that same that same problem, whether it be command and control in terms of maybe their own fear. And that's where I think we can find maybe a little bit more semblance is there is probably a larger number of fear in 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 terms of their. Uh, an administrative control or policy development because of the disconnect from being on the rig every single day and mm-hmm. a disconnect from maybe not understanding the the culture of the fire service in the station in in the moment when they're on the rig coming to that house at three in the morning and you could see, and you can see the glow from from two blocks away so Switching over a little bit more to to training for the companies that I think I look at it as more of an excuse of the companies that just say, "Man, we can't train. We we're getting our ass kicked every day. We are just we are busy. We we can't train." You came from a you came from a city that's that's busy. What? You have a very diverse culture, a, a, a very busy department. How can you make the time to get this training in for the companies that, like I said, I think it's an excuse. I think it's a, a way to say 
that they don't want to do it without having to come out and say they don't want to train. But how can how can we inspire and motivate and, and find avenues for busy companies to still get the reps in? Yeah, and you know, and I I, I agree. I, I think some some guys, uh, some some officers especially, will use. Hey, we had ten runs. We were too busy to train, and I immediately just throw the bullshit flag on that every time I hear a guy say that because there's always, even a, even um, you know, as a firefighter uh, coming on with you know with the company I was at for for years, and our average day was twenty twenty one plus calls. We still found thirty minutes, forty five minutes, an hour, sometimes longer to do either hands-on drills or reviews of something um, every day. I mean, as busy as we were then, uh, there's companies out there not doing even, you know, a quarter of that number of calls. And they'll still say, oh, we were too busy. Really? You were too busy. You had three calls. How are you too busy? So one of the things I started doing on those real busy days, uh, you know, just driving back from a call, can be a training session you know hey you know i tell uh my you know my driver brandon was my last engine company driver i'd say hang a right here and we go down a street that we hadn't been on for a while and we just pull up to any old house and immediately what do we got and start going through with the younger members and that helps that kept me fresh too you know how do we size this up what are some what are some of the um good things about this building, bad things about these buildings. Where do we stretch at? What if we had somebody on the second floor? Where would we be ES at? It's amazing in 20 minutes what you can accomplish to keep guys' minds engaged by simply stopping in front of the structure. You know, whether it's vacant, occupied, um, go to an apartment on a, you know, chest pain call. Well, apartment building or apartment complexes, think about all the different issues you can encounter from offset from the street hydrant locations how are we going to stretch where can we place aerial apparatus where would we cut this fire off at where's the standpipe where's the sprinkler connections that's training that's everyday training you can do not every training has to be a three-hour event sometimes the best trainings happen at the spur of the moment in 20 minutes on the rig um for new officers, if you you know if you can if you can pull these off, uh, get a brand new guy. One of my favorite things to do is just pull up and you know my driver would know, and we would literally just go house on fire, dress out, stretch, and we would go through the procedures like we literally just pulled up on a structure fire just for those reps. That's thirty minutes. That's getting dressed, doing the drill, talking about repacking hose, and going back to the firehouse. It's and, and, not and as really the, the, guys make it. the the longest part of that whole evolution. It's probably just repacking the hose. Mm-hmm. But even in that evolution, you are still having discussion while you're loading the crosslay back in or whatever line exactly. you pull. Um, yeah. That was one thing that we did. Um, we had uh, an EMS run at a local uh, um, retirement community. And mm-hmm. we were kind of doing what you were saying. We were coming around the building and there was uh, a wing that jetted out. We had a good parking lot area that cars could navigate around us. And I had a brand new guy. I mean, he probably had two, two weeks on the job. And we we stopped. We pulled the air brake. And we stretched to the door as if we were going to make entry. Mm. And not to say that we owned that building, but that the, the residents in, in that building, they called us. They saw our lights on. We were 
engaged in patient care. Patient care was clear. They were transported. We were on our way back, and it took ten minutes. And this kid, mm-hmm. and this guy, this was his first time outside of a drill ground, pulling fire uh, or pulling line for a potential fire in an environment that wasn't the parking lot of a fire station. So it, it was it was probably one of my favorite drills that we did because it, one, it was so impromptu, two, it was quick, and and uh, three, it, it changed, I think, some mindset on even apparatus placement, even in, like you were just saying, probably even the more biggest takeaways is that discussion from the time that, that you've wrapped up the hose on the, and the drive back to the, the hall. Right. It's, it's, again, it's, it's a mindset that you instill, um, you know, and for every officer, like, like what you're talking about for it, it, imagine the effect you're having on the company. And when they promote up, they're going to remember those things. So that's how I was trying. I was drilled, you know, pulling hose at the drill yard or a, a big old parking lot. Hell, I can teach a, I can teach some preschoolers to pull lines in a parking lot. It's a whole different animal when you've got parked cars, trees, fences, gates, multiple doors, or stretching between houses. Those are the reps that you've got to find a way to put in. And if it means not getting in service for an extra 10 minutes, then you don't get service for 10 minutes. If it means stretching at the station and you catch a call, you disconnect that line, you still got a whole bunch of other hose lines on your rig. Disconnect it, go to the call, come back, and continue with the drill. It's it's more of the the mental makeup of the company officer, and you know, and I, I say this in my class: you show me a group of three or four bag uh, or really crappy firemen, I go up to the front office, I probably show you a really shitty officer. And it's real easy to blame the guys, but the guys are just a pure example of that leadership that they're getting every single day. If their officers lazy, they're going to be lazy. In yeah, most th- cases. there are no bad crews; they're only bad officers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it all the time. Yeah, no, at, you you see it you see it all the time. And how do in uh, Todd? But what if it's what if you want to do training, um, and you go to your officer? But you know it's it's hot out. I mean, what if it's hot mm-hmm. out? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I don't think Atlanta gets that hot in the summertime. Michigan, nah, no, it's not bad. no, no, no. I mean, Michigan. <laughs> I mean, we get. I mean. It was eighty here, and it it was terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Atlanta mild mild heat at best. Um, how do you react to those bullshit excuses of it's hot out, it's snowing, it's Sunday, it's uh? And one of my biggest like probably one of my biggest like complaints and bitches with that is if our tour starts on Sunday, that's our Monday. If our tour starts on Christmas Eve, that's our Monday. So mm-hmm. no one's gonna go into a job on Monday and be like, well, time to fuck off for the rest of the week. Um, <laughs> we're done. We, uh, we, we made it. No, you can, you can have an amazing training when it's snowing outside and you're going to throw a ladder on concrete. Like, so what, in terms of the, the speech that you were going to give in the lecture you gave it at, at firemanship, how, how is that that no fear leadership play into busting through those excuses? Well, and you know, one of the things you know you were talking about setting standards and those type of things uh, earlier on, and one of the things I established 
really early uh, when I made, uh, you know, Lieutenant, um, is to have one for the boss itself for as bosses, there's additional work, obviously there's additional responsibility, there's additional pressures to get things done. And, and that's, you know, part of it. You took the promotion, you know, what you got yourself into, but to make that easier, uh, as I moved from Lieutenant Captain BC and all those different ranks, I always try to work under a certain time frame because always, you know, one of the things that, that I speak about in my class is that one of the greatest advantages we have is that we lead human beings, which we are all human beings first. One of the disadvantages we have is that we lead human beings and every human being brings their own shit to the table every single shift. And we've always got to have that our mental makeup. So I kind of operated on what I call the seven to 12 theory. From 7 to 12, you belong to me, and we're going to do what we got to do. We're going to do training. We're going to do housework. We're going to do rigs. We're going to do whatever is required of us, and we're going to drill. At 12.01, we're going to do lunch, and then I don't care what they did after that. Study, work out, sleep, watch TV, just be on the rig when the bell rings. And what I found in really quick amount of time, guys got – they love that. They love the regular. And when we when we established a training pattern, when guys actually expected, it got to the point that most of my guys would come to me and ask me what time we were drilling. If I wasn't out or I got hung out doing, you know, employee evals or some other kind of BS paperwork, they would be knocking on the office door going, hey, what time are we going out, Captain? Because they, they were used to that routine. They liked the routine of that. Um, and we got more out of it. You know, some days we would do tabletop stuff, days we'd stay in the house and do training, days we'd go out to a drill, to the drill yard, go to a vacant structure, whatever it was. But we always kept it fresh. We always kept it challenging. Having that routine, it didn't matter what day of the week it was. Sundays was my favorite days, usually when we did our more intense drills, because, you know, call volume was typically down a little bit on Sundays. Um, Nobody came to work for free on Sunday. So, you know, that excuse, well, it's Sunday is total horseshit because you're getting paid to be here. So don't don't give me the uh, it's the day of rest crap. Um, Probably the only time I saw a company get mad at me is um, uh, when I was a lieutenant. My cat was like over the top insane with training. He was even worse than I was, I think. And we went out and did uh, like three hours of writ training on Father's Day. I thought the guys were literally going frag us in the middle of the night that day. But <laughs> <laughs> most holidays, we did kind of break there. But even on holidays, if we saw something interesting while we were out on calls, we would stop and talk about it. We still did something, you know, didn't call it formal training, but we were actually training every single time we had the opportunity. But as far as building that that system, um, that 7 to 12 just seemed to work. I mean, I'm not saying for everybody. Uh, I know some departments are over the top anal about you have to be doing some of that busy work bullshit. But, man, when we drilled, if we started to drill at 9 and whatever that drill was, the guys were in. They were all in. They were bought in into the system. And as long as you made your training where it's benefiting them, and making them better to do their jobs better to help people, they were in. I mean, it didn't matter what we did, and we did every. I mean, we did everything from BES, stretching hose every day, um, rapid dress, um, you know, rescuing our own different techniques. If one of the guys went through a class, he'd come back and teach the whole thing to us, and 
it just worked, but it's a matter of building the system and how the killer you, of all, how did the you killer is your... always consistency. Absolutely. It, it's, it's that it's the consistency in the, in, I think if you even miss it for one or two shifts, it's, it's like you're starting trying to like start that momentum back up again. Did you go into your trainings with some sort of uh, general idea of what you're going to work on for that day? Yes. Why, why, why is that important? Because what I have found is we've had, I've had the experience of other officers that we sit down and they'll look around like, well, so what do you, what do you guys want to work on? And majority if it's nice out, I'm like fucking nothing. I want to go back. Yeah. I want. I want to go back on the couch, or I want to go. I want to go back to quarters. Like I, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm here for you, kind of. Mm-hmm. So I even found that personally. Like I, I've gone into it where it's, like, you know, I'll, I'll. I think I'm doing the right thing. Like, well, you know, what do you guys want to work on? And they're like, seeing my eyelids. It's it's Saturday, and what? and it. I have found, and maybe you can confirm. You can deny. You can can change it up. I have found that if you come in at least with a general outline of hey we're going to we're going to do tower ladder placement or we're going to do x mm-hmm. it at least it, it establish it establishes an outline for the day and if you have no idea what the hell you're working on the rest of the time you can you can develop that as you work through it did you find that same sort of response or reaction did you find it was important to come in at least with a topic ready to go yeah i think it's uh uh, for any instructor, uh, whether you're teaching at your company level, your department level, or, you know, nationally, uh, every instructor will tell you preparedness is the key to delivering, you know, quality training or, or speeches or classes, whatever you want to do. Um, so I would typically have an idea where, you know, uh, what, what, what we wanted to work on, whether it was, uh, if we, and sometimes those drills actually will develop other drills, which is always really cool when we were doing, uh, we were working on different host stretches. And one of the host stretches, because we had so many, you know, two, three, and four story, and even a older seven story high rise in our first do that couldn't really go, hmm, I bet you that sandpipe would work. I had no idea if that sandpipe would work. So we started working on a multitude of stretches for that building, and that led into doing you know, lines over ladders that led into rope stretches that led into how can we stretch an entire bundle of hose up here in one package. And so we would just, that literally by having a plan on working on extended stretches would lead into about 10 more training sessions of extended stretches. If it was VES, it was, all right, let's work on, you know, what we're going to do first. All right, let's work on one man, 24 foot ladder throws. Let's work on entry. Let's work on taking out the window and the sash. Let's work on search techniques. Let's work on drags. Let's work on carries. We have a 250-pound man. How do we get that 250-pound man up this windowsill? So by just starting something, uh, and if you look at BES alone uh, and how successful departments all over this country are with BES grabs, why wouldn't we drill in on that? And then look at what all is involved there. You know, It's one thing snatching an 80-pound woman off the floor versus a 250 pound six foot four man off the floor and into a window so there are you know there's different techniques so that leads into more training how do we do this two ladders one ladder take the window out uh cut the window down to the floor and and be able to ease the guy out so all these things by starting the subject matter 
you can really watch those drills develop and, and go, man, we're weak at this. We need to work on this. And it's, uh, it's actually really cool to, to see develop. But, yeah, I think you've got to go in. I'd go in each shift going, okay, I want to really focus on extended stretches uh, today. And, you know, I may have like 20 ideas in my head for future classes, but I always found once I started one, another 20 ideas would come off of that, typically from the guys. Hey, Cat, what about this? What if we did this? And That's a great idea. Let's try that. You know, and we would end up trying other things. You know, I'd have an hour in my head and we'd end up, you know, doing training for two hours sometimes. Just solely based on the guys being bought in and trying new things. So when when you're engaging your crew and and we're we're trying to get get our training together, we're going to have uh, inevitably those underperforming, you know, guys and girls. Those that are just maybe don't have that instilled passion yet for the job that are, are, are underperforming and cap, how, how can, how, how do we motivate those people? How, how can we, everyone knows an underperforming, like you could talk to any, any, any guy right now in, in the fire service, you could go up to them, guy or girl and say, Hey, uh, in your opinion, who's the shittiest person in your department? They, within a second, they can rattle off just like their kids' names. Um, so, again, it, it's the, the the mindset that that I have and, and other leadership that that I've I've come in contact with. You have to take the ownership one, the onus on yourself, and say, "Listen, he sucks because we let him get that way. Th- they are underperforming because they weren't held to a standard that that we should have caught, and it's now our responsibility." How do we address those people, especially if? they don't realize it or they have one of those personalities that are just explosive. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had those guys. Uh, I've worked with those guys. I've had fill-ins, you know, guys that just are, are uh, coming to your house for that shift or whatever. Um, I think rule one for all officers is, you know, you have to hold yourself to, to that high standard. Um, we had a firefighter detailed us for a couple months. Um, when she came to us, you know, our stand, we had a very, we were very specific standard based crew. We felt like you should, we should be able to get a, especially on a one or two story wood frame. We felt like we should have the first line at the door charged and ready to apply water in a minute's time. So we, you know, was it, a little uh, extreme, sure, but we drilled and we drilled and we always wanted to be just that much better, that much faster. We wanted to be the first ones to the door. We wanted to get water on that fire as fast as we could. So our standard at the door, masked out, popping air, and be able to go across the threshold was about 30 seconds once we got the line in place. Um, first drill day I always did with all new people or even fill-ins was, here's your responsibilities riding this position on the rig. And getting dressed first drill it was uh it was a disaster an absolute it was one of the worst you know drills i'd ever seen somebody do when we were doing rapid dress we're all on air crossing the threshold and this firefighter was struggling trying to figure out where the glove where um their gloves were so we stopped the drill repacked hose and started over and we started going step by step by step within probably uh five six shifts 
you saw drastic improvement and wasn't because I was the one pounding the desk, jumping up and down. Oh, you suck. You got to be better than this. You can't. It was, Hey, we can do this and we can do this. And we would work and we would work and we would work. And it was pretty, it was really cool to watch this firefighter who didn't have the best attitude, didn't really have any desire to train, um, start training on their own. When we were busy, you'd, I, I would find that firefighter out working on masking up and getting faster and getting faster. And then probably within a month, was talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> it's weird that exists About, in the fire you know, service. Hey, Captain, you going to get your shit on today? You know, if, you know, just beat me by a second, we'd start talking smack. And, that you know, it's, it's cool when you can change that mindset. But it wasn't just me. It was the, my other firefighters and my driver consistently willing to go out there and help as well. But, again, that's, a, that's an attitude that a company officer has to instill. If he has high standards or she has high standards, um, that will filter down to the guys. And it doesn't have to be, you're going to train or I'm going to write you up. It doesn't have to be that way. It, it's a it's a everyday leadership thing in every aspect of your job not just on the drill yard but the way you carry yourself at your calls and and the, you know we we did after action reviews after ems calls sometimes you know on serious ems calls well, why do we do this we should have done this we should have taken this door oh crap we almost dropped that guy and you know the, everything we we reviewed and tried to get better at every aspect of our job and that carried into everything we did and but again that's on the company officer to have that uh, attitude and you know it's you know it's in that class too the the only thing you know the fire chief the mayor the deputy chief the battalion chief they have no control over your attitude you have control over your attitude and what you bring to the station every day if your attitude is i don't give a shit your crew's not going to give a shit over time they may give a shit for a while but after a while they're going to give up just like you have so you you control that with um, how important was it when you were trying to explain the change, a change in behavior? How important was it that you explained the why uh, uh, of the mm. change? Mm. It's probably the most critical thing we should be explaining and, and reminding people of uh, from their first day in recruit school uh, to their last shift of why we're here. And I, and I think we lose that message because it's so easy to get bogged down in the bullshit, you know, the rumor mills and the, Oh God, we got to do this or we got to go handle this detail. It's, it's easy, but you know, (laughs) it's, and I know this isn't everybody's thing and I know not everybody has this, but the most contagious human being feeling in the world is enthusiasm. When you're enthusiastic about your job, guys sense that, and they become enthusiastic. That applies whether you're an instructor with recruits. It applies if you're training at your company level. It applies if you're speaking in front of 150 people. If you come up and you've been to this class, you've been to that class where the instructor comes in and goes, hey, let's get through this. Let's get this over with attitude. Oh, it's terrible. It's, it as soon set, as I hear it, that, I check out. Yeah, it sets the tone. Okay, well, I'm mm. on my phone now, so hopefully this place has Wi-Fi because I'm just going to wait for my <laughs> certificado to come. At exactly. The exactly. 
But when you're enthusiastic about teaching it or you're enthusiastic about participating, it's very contagious and other people become enthusiastic about it as well. And it's, you know, it's a skill. It's it's an attitude. It's uh, is it and it's not easy there. You know, just like I said before, you know, not only are we leading human beings, we're human beings. And as human beings, we all have good days and we all have bad days. I think the and, the yeah. why also really develops into the buy-in because I've seen it for for a very long time where if if so, someone is told to do something or hey we have to do X if 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 the why is not explained then either the task will get done to that minimum standard or there's going to be some shitty buy-in to it. And mm-hmm. a lot of backpedaling to to it is well, you know, you you see these things on my collar. That's why we have to do it, and that is the biggest the biggest turnoff I think that you can give anybody in this job. We all have egos on this department, and that on 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 the service, and that right there is just a challenge to that ego, and <laughs> it's just it, it's it's a terrible um it it's a terrible way to lead. And it's probably the most mediocre form of management. And there's a and there is a great difference between being uh, a manager and a leader. And if your guys aren't gonna, if you are not explaining the why, they're not gonna buy in. And if they don't buy in, they're not gonna have a passion for it. And if they're not gonna have a passion for it, they're not gonna do an an, an exceptional job at performing that that task and yeah. whatever it may be. Um. Kind of segueing, kind of, kind of crossing into a little bit of mix of training and uh, leadership, and 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 one of the things that you talk about yourself too are some some bad bosses. Um, I'll, how can we help a firefighter? And and I and I've experienced this firsthand. And if I have, I know uh, a, a thousand other people have. They go to a class, right? They they go to FDIC, they go to HROC, and they are just loving it. Sipping the Kool-Aid, they are like, their mind is opened up, um, and then they have been flooded with information. I mean, just contacts. Reach out to me. Hey, check me out on this. Guys, if you do it this way, this can happen. And, and, and we've tested it from, from a combined, you know, 195 years of service, and, and we know this works, and 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 the, the, you're watching the eyes blow up, and you're exchanging contact information, and and then they get back to their department, and then they go, "Listen, I just learned the craziest shit ever. You get like here's here's a, how I think we can implement this." And the response from their leadership is, "We're not FDNY, so uh, mm-hmm. see you, see you later." Yeah. Um. There is definitely a I think a leadership mix, an administrative mix of. I think holding on to what they believe works, trying to I think calm the fires of of a really passionate young person who might not see everything from the thirty thousand foot view, but how can we keep their passion alive, but also get their messaging across more appropriately? Um, because I, I, you know, I, I'm you know not that long in, like I said, thirteen years in, and I'm still having. I'm still having that problem where, you know, I'm on I'm on a two and a half year endeavor to get just one smooth bore on my fire department, <laughs> and and it re it re go it goes back to uh, a, a realization that I had, which was not everyone fucking likes me, 
and not everyone thinks like me. And am I right? You're fucking right. I'm, I know I'm right. I know I'm right with this decision, but me driving it the way I was driving it was, in my mind, great. What the perception was was a turnoff for everyone because mm-hmm. they didn't they they didn't really care. They didn't really like, you know. I, I told them all the facts and figures. I'm like, if we have a smooth bar, it can deliver x much more water and it's easier to use. And why why do you want a fog and and so I kind of had to pull myself back and be like, I it it was it was me like. I think it was my messaging. Do I think they're kind of dumb for not going through it? Yeah, yeah, I do. But I have to eat that. I have to eat that crow right now, and maybe I'll, you know, celebrate it later on. But how can we get those th- those newer firefighters that go to your classes, that come back to their departments, that meet resistance? How can we get their messaging across, but also <laughs> a variation of that, but their passion is not killed? Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, you know, and I, and I hope the American Fire Service is getting better at this and embracing our young members when they come back from an FDIC or they come back from one of Kurt's speeches. I mean, you know, you, you leave a speech, you know, you go down to HROC and you sit in the room and you hear Kurt speak and you hear Mike Champo speak and you hear Ray McCormack speak. You're going, you know, as, as a 21-year-old, uh, you know, and one of the first times I went to FDIC is when FDIC was still actually in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I was watching these guys from, you know, Rescue One and FDNY teach these classes. And I'm just, you know, over the top about it. Um, I was blessed that I had, you know, young guys around me that were bought in and they were like, yeah, 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 yeah let's try this. So we won for, for leaders embrace the man. I love when I have a guy come back uh, and say, man, look at this, man, cat, we had this or, or chief. We had this great. Show me, you know, let, why not let them try something new? Who cares if it works? Great. If it fails, great. We found out it doesn't work for us or it doesn't work on that rig or that's not our piece of equipment, but we have to embrace you know, and challenge ourselves to accept new ideas. And I used kind of two magic words with, you know, in every aspect, and it's two words that got me in the most trouble all time was why and what. And I love asking and you, you want to watch, you know, for guys who, you know, want to roll the dice and poke the bear a little bit. The simple thing of asking a boss why we can't do something. See what your answer is. I guarantee nine times out of 10 when you go, why not? They won't have an answer. They won't have an answer. They, and I, and they, I lived this. I have lived this they, whole thing. They've never asked themselves why. They've never gone up the chain and asked why not. Sometimes there could be an answer. And you know what? That's great because when I hear the answer, it makes sense. Now, here's where I started poking the bear too much and I would get in more trouble. I'd say, well, why can't we try it? And then I would and I would ask and I would ask and I would ask. I'm, I'm, I'm more aligned with it. I'm being respectful. I'm not being, you know, difficult. I just want to know why I can't have this. Because that's why the way we we've always done slow? it, Todd. That's the that's that's the way we've always done it. Why can't we change? Amen. You know, I can I can keep flipping that why to them until they have to. You can force an answer eventually. Well, and you know, you may be told to get the hell. You know, I was told uh, on more than one occasion from an old boss of mine. Um, when I was a battalion chief and he was my assistant chief and I would constantly go, why or what, what's the other magic word? Why and what? And, you know, he, he, you know, told me to get the hell out of his office on, I don't know, four (laughs) or five occasions. 
And I'd wait in the next meeting. I'd say, well, why can't we do this? <laughs> and eventually he would have to answer the question. I'd do it in memos. I would send letters. I'd send emails. Why can't I do this? Why can't I move this guy until they at least moved it up the chain? And then if they if I got told no, at least I made every effort. So, you know, sometimes it's not always going to be the best answer. Why can't I have a solid board? And the answer you're probably getting right now is cause of, you know, of uneducated reason. It's, so, it's a thousand percent. It. And and really, I, and I think this will work. I think this will work with 95 percent of the, the, mm-hmm. the people in our industry is if I if, if I present an idea in my mind, the idea works. But the 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 coup de gras, the 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 death blow that that can come back to me. Yeah, if you come back and say, well, I see what you're saying, but we do it because of this reason. They're explaining the why. We Mm -hmm. use this nozzle because of this reason. Now, I might clap back with another argument that I may be prepped for. And and again, I might not have a 30,000-foot view of what they're talking about. It you know, one change for me might actually spark an issue with either purchasing or whatever. But the the important thing is that they're giving me a why answer, not just a brick wall of no. Because if, right. if you met any fireman, you put you put a door in front of them, they're going to try to force it. Sure. And and that and by slamming that door, that's all you're initiating. But if you're t- if you're greeting that, that 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 guy that girl and saying, listen. Tell me what your idea is. Let me hear it. And if you can, if you can give that answer, like, hey, not only do I think this widget or this nozzle or this this change is better, this is why. I think that's where you know I struggled in the very get go, like not presenting an effective why as to my argument back. So that's where it took a lot of self reflection on my part, where it was, listen, this is why I think we we need it this way. And then I would list a myriad of, of, of scenarios and issues. And what you said in the very beginning of this topic is a lot of uneducated bullshit came back my way. And you know sure. what? That's just that's it's a it's a fight for a different time and it's just more more time for me and everyone else to develop more and more um, evidence and, and solutions and allow the people around you to establish their buy-in. So if, right. if you can take what you learned and share it with those around you, like, hey, you know, Chris, what are you working on? Oh, man, check this out. Like, hey, what do you think of this? <laughs> do you do you think this could work? And they use it, they try it, and if the answer is yes, you know what, hey, you go 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 show your captain. You you let me know how this works. Show them that video. And and so that's that's just like the way that that we can work, I think around it as well. Um Kind of wrapping up, I, I want to segue lastly um, into the marketing of our department uh, on the fire service, the marketing of your fire department, and the the role that we can effectively use social media not only as um, a marketing tool, but um, establishing the fire department to remain itself on the pedestal of what the the citizens around us use. I want to get your kind of take on one thing. One of the things I, I champion a lot, and I want to see um, kind of how, how you view it uh, coming from the, the, the long story career that you have is uh, a big thing that, that I'm a proponent of is 
um, humanizing the fire department where I don't think there's, there's not many people, Joe citizen who will see a Facebook post from a municipal fire department that will say, you know, Hey, we, we, um, we bought this thermal imaging camera and we can see through smoke and it's going to help us identify the fire quicker. They get it. It's, it's, it's kind of a cool thing that might have more effect maybe on an open house. But when I say humanizing the fire department, congratulating firefighters that have their first child who get married, who their children graduate from school um, to share experiences that the lay citizen has related back to the fire department, I think, in my mind, creates a stronger fire department because you are connecting all those those human experiences back to the citizens. And I, I want to get your take on that. And, and do you think that's effective? Because because the way I'm looking at it, and the way I was kind of like encompassing this, and the way I've kind of approached our social media, is if if we can develop a bond back to our citizens and back to our township and show that we out, we are as imperative to this environment, to this society as the road that you drive on, I think we'll just engage and enhance our, um, our industry even more so. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think, uh, uh, there, uh, there's different levels. There's different layers here. There's the internal part. And I think that's where we fail the American fire service more than anything. Sometimes, uh, is that we don't take care of our number one resource. Uh, and that's our, that's our members. That's our, our line guys, our line officers. Um, they, they, they almost at times look like we treat them like subclass citizens, which is, you know, extremely disappointing. Um, and I think the the better you know, the the better I treat my people as a fire chief, the better they're going to treat the citizens of my city, my township, my community. And you know, so I think anytime when we talk about humanizing or publicizing or or trying to let people know what we're truly here for, we have to start at the grassroots level of taking care of that one year firefighter and making sure he has everything. And I'm not even talking about money. I, you know, guys come on this job. If they, you know, and, and for the guys listening, if you came on here thinking you're going to be a millionaire, then you're way to not read the fine print in your document, <laughs> your contract. But, you know, I can take care of them, make sure that, you know, try to get them the best equipment, make sure their firehouse is up to par. You know, if the, um, I just read uh, a story where a fire station locally was without AC air conditioning for 73 days. There's no excuse for that kind of shit. I don't think that, I don't think that station was headquarters either. It wasn't definitely <laughs> not headquarters, but you know, little things like that, because every time I treat you good, you're going to also treat one of your other brothers or sisters better. And then that's going to carry right out into field operations when we're dealing with a citizen uh, in their worst of time or even on a very routine, you know, because, you know, we've all been on the call where you get called on a smoke alarm and it's just a battery. So instead of bitching about that battery, guys are going to be more up go, hey, let's grab a ladder. We got batteries in the rig. We'll pop a new battery in for you. And we'll check your other two alarms. You know, those things really do carry, but they got to start the way we we treat firefighters first and, and leadership treats our firefighters um, instead of suspending guys for making grabs, let's hold them up in the public line. Go look what our guys are doing. 
for the citizens of this city or citizens of this township. Look what they're doing today, um, publicizing drills, you know, and one, one of the really cool things I've been lucky enough to be a part of is these uh, government leadership programs where business leaders, you know, restaurant owners and other community leaders go through a leadership class through the township or city government. And they go learn what the police officers really do. They do ride-alongs. Uh, one of the other counties I worked for for a long time, we would bring them out and we would put them in full gear, take them into the burn building, let them actually fight a little bit of fire. And they were amazed because they didn't know. They didn't understand what it was like to have all that gear on in 98-degree weather and stuff on fire and how heavy hose was and dragging it we put them through, you know, the ringer, you know, for four hours, they were firefighters. And, and it's amazing the community support that those um, those owners got from, uh, you know, we got from those businesses and, and that spread throughout the community. So it's a really, really cool tool to build that human relationship with our citizens and and things like that. I was always a big believer. If a kid came up to the station needing air in his bicycle tire, we put air in his bicycle tire uh, one uh, couple down the street, they brought, I bet you their kid had 45 tours of our firehouse, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, uh, but it was the way we treated each other in the station too, you know, and that, it all starts with the way management treats his firefighters and the way the officers treat their members. Um, riding a guy up for every small little infraction. Um, I was recently having a conversation with a brother of mine in Alabama, I'm not going to say what department, their number one concern in their organization is if everybody has their top shirt on. I, and I, <laughs> again, that sends a negative message uh, to the entire organization. And I guarantee the way they interact with their citizens isn't as positive because they're not being treated in a positive light either. And that care again, you know, what I said before, we're human beings and we're going to respond to the way we're treated. Everybody wants to be treated fairly. Everybody wants to feel like they're part of that team. But don't harp on me because uh, my shoelace is undone. And don't tell me about a reward. I know of of an incident where a guy was given a citation because of the way he was always so well put together in his uniform and his boots were so shiny. This guy couldn't put out his ass if it was on fire, but he looked good in his uniform. Well, I mean, that's all that matters. I mean, right? Like that. (laughs) <laughs> That's all that matters. Um, but you know, I mean, it's a we, negative message to the to the ninety percent of your organization that when we're rewarding uniform look and not and suspending a guy for making a grab, it's a it's such a negative message to uh, message to our firefighters. Oh, with, w- without question, and we have that that um, the same thing in in our area, which again t- brings me back to the same thing I've been saying. If 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 you're seeing it in 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 Alabama. And, and I'm seeing it in Michigan. It's everywhere. Is sure. You know, we yeah. We 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 have a, unfortunately some some leadership or administration that that kind of harp on the who you bet you better not let the chief see that. If the chief sees that, he's gonna get pissed. And you know he we're talking right up. We're talking right up. Mm-hmm. And th- there there comes a time when, when you you can't maintain the same plane for every single infraction. Like, right. the, the, the infraction level cannot ride the same same priority level of you're not wearing a polo versus you can't, you can't 
get off the truck, pull a line, stretch in under five minutes. Like if 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 we don't if we care that the the paintbrush is not hung on a hook, we care about that. But we don't care that a guy is not able to reach his arm around his back to turn on his SCBA bottle. Mm-hmm. There, there's a big damn problem. Right. But sometimes I think you see this in not just the fire source, but you see it in business too. You know, we're, we're too, we're, we're overly concerned about our image and not what we're actually here for. Um, and I, again, as a boss, you know, my guys knew the standard uh, in the house, you know, t-shirts is great. If we're going to be in public, top shirts got to be on. We always kept a top shirt in the rig. And if we got caught without them, I took the bullet, you know, because I'm the one that approved them getting off the rig without their, you know, top shirt on it. Two o'clock in the morning on a, you know, on a EMS call. And that's just, you know, part of it, though. Um, now, did I jump guys for two? Of course. You know, if I come in and you got three holes and you're half your belly sticking out of the holes in your shirt, you need to get rid of that shirt. Let's have it, you know, but I didn't write them up at. So, you know, I had one guy just walked up and I just grabbed the little hole and I ripped the whole shirt off of him. I said, now you need a new T-shirt, <laughs> you know, go go change your shirt. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be a big, long ride up in a meeting. You know, and again, sometimes the simple conversations go a hell of a lot further than me handing off a piece of paper. Amen. Um, so, Todd. I, uh, I, I appreciate the time that you gave me today. Um, I know I know others will, too. Um I know you have a a bunch of uh, um, big things and different things that you're working on. So uh, we're uh, coming up, you know, I don't know. Michigan probably won't ever lift its restriction here. So I'm probably just going to be jailed (laughs) jailed in my state forever. So um, I I don't think I'll ever see you there, buddy. Uh, But uh, where can, uh, if you're speaking, if you're involved in some upcoming training, where can people um, see around the country? Yeah, uh, my let, let me give my email address for guys that may have other questions about things they've heard or need or need some additional information. And uh, my email address is real simple. It's Todd Edwards six, and that's the number six um, at yahoo.com. I have a personal Facebook page under Todd Edwards, and I also operate a training uh, Facebook page called The Drill Yard. Just The Drill Yard. And on that page, I post, you know, um, obviously some training stuff that I do. I post articles I find uh, all over the country, articles uh, friends of mine have written. So I'm constantly sharing that stuff. There's there's new material on that Facebook page, sometimes four or five times a day. But every day I put I get something new out there. Uh, locally, uh, probably I'll be on the road, um, in Fairhope, Alabama uh, next weekend doing the live fire leadership program that we do. And that program is really about putting our officers under the most stress we can possibly put them under with decision-making under fire, uh, you know, multiple victim scenarios, bad personnel scenarios, pump operation scenarios, just a whole uh, host of different things that you could encounter at a fire and they're having to do it, um, you know, while running full on scenario based training. So it's a really cool program we do uh, that's coming up in Alabama. I'll be in Burlington, Kentucky at the end of June uh, with my brother, Steve Robertson. We'll be doing uh, 
engine company mostly just stretching hose, stretching hose, stretching hose in a variety of ways. Um, definitely one of the best engine guys in the entire country is uh, Lieutenant Steve Robertson out of Columbus, Ohio. Um, so I'm working with him there. Be in Nashville in October for Firehouse Expo since I got, you know, moved because of the pandemic. I'll be presenting there. And uh, me and uh, Danny are launching um, our new, uh, it's uh, called Decision Making in a Culture of Safety. That's the name of our program. We'll be doing case studies and giving hopefully some very valuable tips and lessons on how to make decisions on the fire ground that you, you know, that just aren't in the book. Um, you know, we don't have time, you know, when you got heavy fire reported people trapped, those decisions are coming at such a rapid pace and we really go into, um, everything from flow based to, um, naturalistic to just our own experiences. And we take two very, very, uh, hard looks at his rescue and a case study where uh, a firefighter was almost killed that I was uh, the incident commander of. So with the, that, that program's launching in July and we'll be making that uh, a lot more public over the next couple months as well. So if anybody has questions or wants some information, they can reach me in those manners and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Maybe uh, I can come up to Michigan one day and get to do some things with you guys. Sorry, we're locked down. <laughs> <laughs> i got a feeling you guys are going to get unlocked real soon i think uh, yeah it's you know news your state's about done with that lockdown shit. it is crazy land you know it's funny i i, I had uh five years i had been requesting fdic right did not mm-hmm. de- denied every single year um and then um uh, they told me 2020 chris is your year you're going, you know, a captain that I, a, a captain that's on my department worked. You know, he he's been requesting it. Um, we kind of we came up together and they they gave us probably the begrudging approvals. Paid for the whole thing, the week long class, hot classes. You can guys, you can do it all. You guys, you guys have been waiting forever to do this. And then fucking Rona hits, and, <laughs> and then I uh, just, and then uh, I, we just saw the FDICs officially uh, postponed until twenty one. So. Yeah. Hopefully my uh, hopefully my approval uh, is still good for twenty one, but we'll see. Um, I'm hoping I am hoping to make it down to Firehouse uh, in October. Um, we'll kind of see how um, how that goes. Captain Edwards, thank you so much, Todd. I, I I couldn't thank you enough. You spent a long time with me, and um, I really do appreciate it. You're really making this fire service better, man. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for uh, uh, talking to me. All right. Well, Todd, be good. Take it easy, and uh, have a drink on me. All right, sure will. Thanks, brother. We'll see you, man. Bye. All right, buddy. Take care. I want to thank Captain Todd Edwards for coming on. It's awesome. I love talking to that guy. Please, when you get back to shift, when you finish your four-day, get after it. Go, go train. Go make the people around you better. Show them how to be better. Ask questions. Ask the why. Ask the what. Just like he says. Please... This is these are crazy times right now. Go please visit a restaurant in your in your first due, in your district, in your home. Tip the waitress more. People, we need it more than ever. Stay Rona free and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.